Chapter 4 Polio By the time we reached our apartment after walking home from the movies, I was in a lot of pain. I don't know how I got to the top of the stairs, but I remember sitting there on the top step, tears running down my cute little cheeks, trying to take off my pants, and not being very successful. I think I was about five or six years old. The next morning when I tried to get up, I couldn't get out of bed. It was very painful to even move my leg at all. My mom and dad were scared to death. At that time, the biggest health scare was polio. The P word in those days was worse than the C word is today. Unlike cancer, polio was a virus that could be spread from one person to another. In the newsreels at the movies, we would see pictures of polio victims in the iron lung. The iron lung was a long, steel, cylindrical chamber. The person with polio would be put inside the chamber with only their head exposed to the outside. The chamber was designed to put pressure on the lungs to help people breathe. Many polio victims spent their entire lives in iron lungs. Polio caused a lot of people to be crippled for life and also caused many, many deaths. Our president, President Franklin D. Roosevelt, was in a wheelchair because of polio. So you can understand why my parents were so concerned. By mid-morning, the decision was made to take me to the hospital. I remember lying on the couch, and aside from the pain, feeling very, very important. Everyone was talking about me. My sister was very kind, caring, and gentle. She was obviously trying to make up for the way she treated me the night before. She must have felt devastated. Served her right. She and her friends were outside in the lawn, talking about me in low whispers. The whole neighborhood was talking about me. It was great. When my dad announced that we were going to the hospital, I asked him when the ambulance was going to come. I had visions of the ambulance arriving with its lights flashing and siren blaring. All our neighbors would naturally be outside watching this great tragedy unfold before their eyes. I would be carried out on a stretcher with a pained look on my face while my friends stared bug-eyed and their mothers and fathers would be shaking their heads very slowly from side to side, their eyes filled with tears. It was going to be great. Then my father replied that he planned to drive me to the hospital. There would be no ambulance. That's when my bubble burst. All my visions of being the absolute center of the universe with everyone caught up in the dramatic emotion of the moment evaporated. In my little mind, this was going to be my big chance for fame, and I had planned to milk it for all it was worth. But no... My father had to drive me. 
The hospital was called Kaiser Permanente, and it was specially built for government civil servants, which in a nutshell means it was a little below average. It was a single-story, rambling complex that has long since been torn down. I laid in a bed there for about three weeks, literally at death's door, while the doctors tried to figure out what was wrong with me. Ultimately, I was in the hospital for nearly three months. Polio was ruled out, and finally a bone specialist was called in who made the diagnosis of osteomyelitis, a rare infection of the bone, sometimes caused by a bruise, which is what I think happened in my case. I remember one day at school, a few weeks or maybe even a month or so before all this started, a schoolyard bully kicked me really hard, just below my right knee, exactly where the infection eventually turned up. In later years, I came to believe that Joseph Smith suffered from the same condition when he was a boy, and I still hold to that belief today. This is, of course, just my opinion, but I think it's right. As I recall the story, Joseph complained of pain in his leg and soon was unable to walk. When the doctor examined him, he determined that his leg was infected and would probably have to be amputated. Apparently, Joseph's doctor was more astute than the doctors at Kaiser Permanente, because he figured it out right away. When Joseph refused to let the doctor cut his leg off, the doctor explained that the only other option would be to cut out the infected bone, which would be extremely painful. Joseph agreed to the procedure, and the doctor attempted to give him some liquor to dull the pain, but Joseph refused the liquor and told the doctor that if his father held him in his arms, he would be all right. And he was. What amazing determination, strength, and pure grit Joseph had, even as a boy. They finally operated on my leg to remove the infected portion of the bone. I still remember being on the operating table watching the nurses prepare everything. Then one of them put a cloth over my nose, which I guess was ether, and I was out. Apparently they didn't have anesthesiologists in those days. When I woke up, it seemed like I was still surrounded by doctors and nurses. I received a lot of attention the next few days. Three times a day, every eight hours, I had a shot of penicillin. This continued even after I was released from the hospital. My mother gave me the shots at home. My poor little rear end was like a pincushion. The only visitors I could have in the hospital were my mom and dad. They didn't allow siblings or friends to visit, but my sister Elaine would come to the window that was near my bed and talk to me. It was really good to see her. After a week or two, I was allowed to get in a wheelchair and move about the hospital a little bit. I made friends with another kid who had a broken leg, and together we would explore our wing of the hospital. When no one was looking, we would sometimes race each other in our wheelchairs. My mother brought me a clock and put it beside my bed. That is when and where I learned to tell time. When I was finally released to go home, I still spent a lot of time in bed and on the couch. Part of my recovery was learning how to walk all over again.
While I'm talking about medical experiences, I should mention my tonsillectomy. In those days, it was standard procedure to have one's tonsils taken out while yet a youngster. To help make it less of a traumatic experience, parents would tell their children that as soon as they got their tonsils taken out, they could eat all the ice cream they wanted. True to form, that's what my parents told me. What they didn't tell me was that my throat would be so sore I wouldn't even want any ice cream. Parents, you gotta watch them. Sometimes they can be pretty deceptive. Thank you.